Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, this is a recap of uh, this week. And uh, it's really interesting. Did a lot of work with uh, multi-label and uh, thinking about that uh, because that's one of the things that uh, um, is... Uh, really makes deep learning in Keras powerful is that it has that uh, softmax and uh, so you can get a probability on those outputs um, where you can have multiple outputs and so uh, the uh, image processing can uh, be recognizing and labeling multiple objects simultaneously. But it's also very powerful in text processing. And uh, um, I've been looking at uh, Trump tweets and uh, trying to figure out, I figured out that uh, um, I was wanting to see what is important. So I want the most important content to uh, surface and so one of the things that uh, I'm going to do is do some pre-processing and uh, already uh, looked at uh, some of the processing with uh, um, the hashtags where I was looking at the hashtags what I don't want is like just generalized content where people are saying you know really great the leadership blah 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 I wanted to see things that, uh, great things that are, are high importance. So um, I'm going to be looking for certain keywords that might indicate importance um, and maybe less frequently used words will be also important. So I can use uh, vectorize, get those counts on the different words, look at the distribution of those words and uh, and uh, try to uh, narrow it down that way um, one of the things I was really surprised is how many hashtags there were I uh, <laughs> had to increase my figure size to about 300 so I could see see all the hashtags when so I used uh, count plot that's a seaborn uh, graph and it's very good for you know just getting general idea of what what's important and you know just where he where Trump spent his time uh, doing his tweets and then some of the less important or less frequently mentioned tweets might were also interesting because he he spent time uh, uh, on those tweets but yet they weren't uh, a, continual a continual discussion. And so some of that content seems to be really condensed. And, uh, and so the hashtag names themselves might be an indication of importance. Um, and so also one of the things that might be also interesting is uh, doing some n-gram analysis and seeing if, uh, if once I can vectorize it, if I can get some general 
categories uh, that the content is about. And so I, I can even limit it and group the, the content based on uh, category. And, uh, and that might provide more of a higher level view of what the content is about. It might be about economics, it might be about family, it might be about uh, security. Those might be some high-level category words that uh, describe the content. They're doing that kind of stuff with Wikipedia where uh, there, there's a lot of content out there and so now they're trying to organize it into things that are more relevant. So you're not spending lots of time sorting through information that you're really not interested in. So you can find something that uh, is important to talk about and then you can focus in on that. And that's what the machine does really well is that it's able to sort through large amounts of data. In this case, where I was looking at his tweets, there were like uh, 12 megs of data, a lot of computational cycles in it. Um, and even even distilling it down into the value counts took quite a bit of time. Uh, but then once I was able to reduce the uh, hashtag topics that I was interested in and then try to eliminate the sections that were kind of noisy and uh, not really adding much value in terms of content that are, is uh, based on a topic of discussion. Um, that's also one of the things that I w would like to be able to do is remove all the uh, kind of commentary, things that are, are not really related to any, any direct statement or declarative statement and, and try to get to things that um, Trump, Trump talked about that could be more policy oriented. And through that, uh, see what the discussions are. So it's, it's interesting uh, to see uh, how many tweets that he did. I mean, it was 12, in uh, 2009, I think, to 2012, there were like close to 12 meg of uh, tweets. There's a phenomenal amount of information that's out there in text format. And it's only increasing. And so... Trump must be a very good communicator in that sense because he uh, is keeping the American people informed on uh, foreign policy. He's communicating what he thinks uh, is going on in trying to create uh, a, a wealthy America again. And I think that uh, I'm waiting to, for the December 16th decision is who will be the next president. Well, and going to uh, other topics, we I spent a lot of time finishing up my data camp, data science certificate, so I got that one done. And now I'm working on the Python programming data certificate. And... Uh, and uh, I'm about 56% uh, through that one. That one had a lot to do with uh, PyTorch. They're going to do a lot with uh, linear algebra, PyTorch. Um, 
some a little bit more on statistical analysis, uh, some linear modeling, and uh, things like that. I, th I found the linear modeling actually really interesting. I like these uh, predictive analytic courses because they, they seem to be giving a lot of value quick. Uh, probability mass functions, accumulative mass functions, density functions. Those are, those are all just really insightful into um, the world of modeling and simulation. And so if you can get into a Gaussian model, and use sampling to complete the model, and then you can improve the efficiency of their predictions. It's always uh, interesting to see what uh, would provide value because you can predict something into the future. Um, for example, mean time between failure. I know there are some companies that were analyzing statistically when they predicted that the equipment would fail. And, uh, you know, they, so they would do their different maintenance cycles. And then based on usage and time, they would, could predict when that equipment would probably fail. And, uh, and uh, so in that sense, then you could, you could uh, plan for your you have depreciation, but that doesn't necessarily indicate failure. Depreciation is a, a tax, uh, so you can you can count your depreciation as a deductible on your taxes. But it isn't necessarily indication of the maintenance life cycle of the product or its value, uh, salvage value at, at any given point. <clears throat> So, you know, that's a good question is like, do you, if you had a $60,000 truck um, and you knew that it's gone through, let's say 20 years of usage, is it, does it, uh, and, and so now maintenance costs are starting to increase because parts are starting to break. Is it cheaper to continue to replace parts like transmissions, uh, engines, axles, brakes, drums, etc. Is it cheaper to continue in the maintenance cycle or uh, do you replace that truck with another truck? And then uh, because the, yes, the, it's a, a larger payment overall, but the monthly maintenance cost on the newer truck is less so it makes sense from a long-term strategy to um, keep uh, replace the truck. So I've heard of those cases where uh, companies have said, "Well, let's just replace the truck." The other the other cases, uh, if you, do you look at the overall maintenance cost per year, and then over the last 20 years and calculate what that cost was, and then uh, use that as a deciding factor. Uh, if there isn't an acceleration in the cost of the truck to justify that the maintenance cost would actually be lower than a new, uh, a new monthly cost on a brand new truck. Sometimes it's cheaper to spend four or $500 to repair a part than it is to uh, 
assume a four or five hundred dollar truck payment or six hundred to eight hundred dollar truck payment uh, as a replacement cost. So I wonder in that case, uh, you know, how does the predictive analytics factor in? Do you look at uh, two graphs? You look at the maybe the last uh, three years of the truck maintenance cost and then you compare that to a moving average, well not a movie average, but an average of the last 20 years and then based on the, the difference or the change uh, between them make a decision if the gap is increasing to do a replacement, if the gap is not replacing, is not increasing then uh, decide to keep the, the truck and then do the maintenance. I think these are all uh, interesting questions uh, because you do have a limited amount of money in, in any size and, uh, and because of that you have to uh, weigh out the, the pros and the cons. Well, it's uh, weather's changing. It's always a time I, the year that I don't particularly like. It's getting snowy. It's cold. Uh, it's getting. It's dark earlier. Kind of messes up my desire to go out and walk. I don't like. Sometimes I don't like to go out and walk in the dark. But you know, um, what can you do? Yeah. You, Maybe if you get a gym pass and go down and exercise there or something. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just a time of the year that's kind of dismal. It'll be interesting to see uh, also what kind of gifts that people are going to offer for Christmas. I... Uh, one year, my wife bought me the $6 million man season two. And I don't remember how many of the series that I watched or if I watched any of them. But I watched one of them last night. I really enjoyed it. Uh, because he had his bionic system and he's really kind of a hero. I really like uh, Steve Austin. He's, not just about technology, even though he has this really advanced technology and uh, capability, uh, he's more about being a hero. And uh, they have this, they have a couple of scenes where he's running across the field, and, and it's actually kind of funny to watch when they, they accelerate the film and they show him moving super fast which I think is the incorrect way to have done that. Like what they should have done is somehow uh, done slow motion or even fast motion, but instead of having him taking, you know, a three-foot stride, maybe he has a 12-foot stride when he's running. Uh, and that would match more to the, the bionics of movement. But, you know, it's, it's just true, though, as you start to run faster, that uh, uh, there's a certain stride uh, 
length that you're going to achieve at a certain speed and a, an acceleration to a certain level then you're going to plateau off and then it comes down to the stride your stride and, and the speed of the stride well then I, we, I guess in season 2 they also have the introduction of the bionic woman and uh, I really like Lindsay Wagner. I think she was uh, played an incredible role. And when I remember when the Bionic Woman came out, I watched a few of the episodes. And wasn't really intrigued with it, but I didn't realize that most of America was. And she may have become far more popular. And I and I do think that she did. The Bionic Woman was a more popular series than the Bionic Man. They do have some crossover where the Bionic Man and the Bionic Woman get together. But it's really kind of amazing that they never married uh, in real life because they seem like they were a perfect couple. Instead, Lee Majors marries Farrah Fawcett, and then that marriage didn't last. So it's kind of almost like something that could have been great, but it wasn't. Maybe they couldn't get married. Maybe they were already married or something. I don't know. But they were pretty amazing on this uh, screen. Um, also find it interesting with Netflix that you can't really find anything interesting. Why do, you know, it should, um, Netflix should analyze your age and your interests, your demographics, and begin to provide intelligent uh, lists of movies that you might be interested in. You know, instead of always having to go to the search screen and tap in a, a movie name, um, or try to go by a topic. It, it's just very time-consuming to find movies that you might watch. And I, and I don't know if that's done by design so that that uh, people have a hard time finding movie content that they want to watch. But it seems like that uh, the company that can build a better assistant to help you find content will be a winner. That's the same thing I have with Siri is that Siri really frustrates me because it really doesn't seem to understand content. And so when you're having a discussion or you want additional information, a lot of times the data is not useful. I mean, I was having a conversation about rice, growing rice. And I wanted to find uh, how much rice was growing in Texas. And, uh, you know, I could ask Siri a question and, and then Siri would uh, throw up a, a web page. And it was really irritating because it didn't synthesize the information on the web page and give me a summary. And I really feel like that that's what uh, when you're having a quick conversation, you want to do a quick glance down and look at some content. 
it needs to provide a summary of the content. It doesn't need to give you a web page and, uh, and tell you, you do the work. It should start doing the work. It has the capability. Turing NLP looks like it will be a big, uh, a big deal. There's more content can be analyzed. And we're not talking just simple content. It could be complex documents, technical documents. Maybe it could take work that PhDs did uh, and summarize it to layman terms or produce a more understandable version of the work. Maybe it could translate the mathematics and the mathematic notation into a summary of what it means. Because why can't a machine understand what the equations are doing, just like human beings have to look at mathematical notation and think about what that translates to in terms of uh, meaning. And so there could be some translation between mathematical notation and natural language. And I kind of feel like that that might be an area where uh, competition could begin to enter in. And the question then becomes, you know, why aren't why aren't there more companies trying to compete against Google? I think it comes down to once you get to a certain size, it's uh, you know you have uh, uh, market acceptance. Unless something some technology comes along that's very disruptive or better. Um, and so if, you, if people are moving away from the web, if web 2.0 is dead, and people are moving to mobile, then why would people on mobile devices want to have to do too much touch interaction? Why can't it all be voice? And that's where artificial stupidity really kicks in, is it says that network and voice recognition will be the technologies of the immediate future. And so, you know, looking for companies that can compete with Siri. And once I find a, con a company that can do it, I'll just replace, turn Siri off, and I'll turn that other company on. And, and uh, you know, I can talk to the other company. Agent for getting information. And the, and, the, and the companies can know who you are by your voice. So just like a human being recognizes who you are by voice, your voice can be your signature. And so your voice can open doors, it can turn on uh, your car, it can turn on the lights in your house. It could be your signature. Kind of reminds me of Sneakers where he says, my voice is my passport. Well, there's a lot of difficulties in getting the proper signature invoice because two people can mimic each other with, to some degree the way they talk. I always find it interesting that there's comedians or even people that can, can uh, 
mimic the gestures and the voice of another person. But yet there must be certain attributes in the voice that clearly distinguish you from someone else. Maybe it's the speed in which you talk. Maybe it's the inflection points. Maybe it's the tone. And so there, there are certain signals in the voice that the machine can, features that the machine can learn and then utilize to uh, recognize your identity. Well, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting uh, Todd back on the program and talking about uh, his journey to Carnegie Mellon, how he got involved with uh, robotics, and what he was actually desiring to do uh, with his research in robotics. I, you know, he went out and built two companies, he said, and wrote papers with Dr. Pomeroon. And uh, really built, probably in my mind, a, the most innovative um, self-driving system today. And uh, it would be interesting to see if you could take a modern-day Tesla and given the constraints of the original across America with no... No, no driver intervention if the Tesla could accomplish the feat. Um, and so just put the FSD up to the challenge to see if it could equal or top the feats of Ralph in terms of its performance. One of the things that Ralph had was it had domain knowledge and that capability programmed into the car kept it from making bad decisions. There were no collisions. Uh, there were no major issues with it recognizing how to navigate different road types. It had to learn different road types. He, he, he said that when he was in uh, Utah that they were doing construction on the road and so the neural net had to learn the different road types but the, look, you couldn't just stop the car and let the neural net learn the road type so there had to be a way that they could uh, train the neural net and so these were some of the kind of uh, things that we, he was talking about and uh, you know the improved system that was built allowed him to accomplish the future in 1975 and it's so interesting to think you know that uh, that, that was uh, 40 some years ago 75 would be 25 to 2000 plus 20 on top of that so that would be 45 years ago it's just amazing to think of that 
he must have been a very young man when he uh, was doing this work. But there's going to be other people who are inspired, and I think that's why he, he pointed out that one of the great advantages of the work that he did with the self-driving vehicle was that it inspired other roboticists to believe that it was possible to create a self-driving car. Well, and I've been thinking about, well, my, you know, if self-driving cars are hard to build because of regulation and, you know, there's so much cost associated to bringing a self-driving car to market in terms of legislation, uh, safety guarantees. Why not take this technology and apply it to things like warehouses or uh, golf courses? Build a self-driving lawnmower that can differentiate between sidewalk, uh, areas to cut, different uh, types of heights that it has to to cut at, and uh, maybe even some cleaning after it's done its maintenance. Instead of having a random navigation system, why not have a smart system with LiDAR and radar and with the neural net route system where it can know how to build a map of its world and that it can uh, successfully navigate through that, that map of its world. And so that, that's, to me, that's a kind of an exciting idea to propose is, you know, building a, using the technology for self-driving cars of the 70s and apply that domain knowledge to lawnmowers that can do the work for golf courses to the level that it will do and uh, the work equivalent to a professional lawn care provider. Um, and you know it's interesting because LiDAR is now so cheap that they can put it in a new iPhone so you can see the world of augmented reality is going to be starting to really accelerate as LiDAR can build a 3D world or be aware of its 3D world around it, build a model, and then uh, project uh, 3D objects into the world around it in real time. So you could have Unreal Engine and it's building models and injecting those models into uh, 3D space based on LiDAR scans and learning. But uh, it will be a lot of computational intensive work that uh, uh, will be in the future as 
more um, content is being generated by machines and as machines are starting to learn. Oh, well, everything got foggy. Of course, Caldwell is known for its fog. It's kind of cold here. So, the air is warmer than the ground. Ground is cold, air is warmer. Creates fog. I uh, figured out that uh, my uh, next data cap course or my certificate will be completed in February of 2021. So I was thinking about that and I was like, well, that'll, uh, that's about 12 different courses I've got to complete. And if I complete one course a week, then that would be 12 weeks to complete. So that pushed me out somewhere February, March to complete these courses. And uh, it's just the way the data science is. It's a huge field. There's a lot of things to learn and, you know, practice. And uh, I'll put my search engine. I've got a little PowerShell search engine that I've built so I can find content in my, my text notes. Um, and uh, it was helpful. And, thinking about uh, maybe trying to do that also with uh, my uh, Jupyter Notes because I have a lot of code now. started to build up my code base and uh, trying to find different functions and stuff is, is uh, sometimes challenging remembering you know, where, which project I, I worked on that in. And that's one of the tough things with machine learning is, and it's also with computer science, is that uh, the magnitude of which you develop over time gets enormous. And your code base gets enormous, and you have to um, have a way to organize and find things. And, uh, your documentation has to be usable help you understand what you did. Sometimes you don't have time to think about what you did or how you did it. You just have to trust that you did it right. So it's very important to have uh, some sort of validation as you go along so that you can run those validations and assure yourself that uh, that the assumptions, the usage of those components are still reliable. Sometimes things change and you don't know about it. Uh, so you have to be kind of flexible. But I've been uh, thinking about uh, having using the machine learning and AI to kind of diagnose things. Uh, 
I'll be looking for different, um, maybe look at the averages and look at things that are going above maybe two standard deviations. That might be an indication something's going wrong. Statistical control. But uh, it was kind of interesting when I did the analysis of the labels, if, it, uh, if the labels matched correctly to the uh, descriptions and case that I was looking at, it was very high correlation. It was like you know, really, really high. But uh, yeah, there's so a lot of times what you do is you get a knowledge of the different data science concepts and then as you start working through projects or other courses, there's a lot of crossover and uh, it's easier once you have an understanding or grasp of the concepts and theories to um, to use and follow along. So it may be that I I get through the coursework faster. But uh, we'll we'll see. I had one colleague say that uh, you should use, get a job in data science so you can use the knowledge that you have. And there might be some truth to that, but I feel like I need to get more experience with the programming and more experience with the projects and the concepts before I try uh, anything like that. I'll be kind of using it to uh, help me and it helps me uh, change the way I think. So I'm thinking about uh, data and I'm thinking about what the data is telling me and I'm going to try to create some visualizations based on what I'm observing. And, and that's, that's what's really important too is that we live in a world now with Power BI and Tableau that want to visualize our data. We want it to tell a story and have it set up in a way that's easily understood by business people. See, you know, in a case like with fog, this is where I could see self-driving cars being so much better than human drivers. I could only see like 40 or 50 feet ahead of me. Can't see, you know, cars that are oncoming, other, you know, within close proximity, and um, so this is where, you know, having advanced technology in this situation would be very helpful. <clears throat> I can be able to see what is coming up let the self-driving car figure it out. But that's always one of the things about technology is it's going to work uh, maybe not as well as a human being will work. And if it worked far superior than a human being, 
then uh, people would be a risk. So they would always have to be factoring in the risk that there might be something unpredictable that the human driver might do. Education's important. Um, whether income is related to education, those are. We hear a lot of things that are maxims, but we until we actually understand the data, we don't know. And so that's one thing I like about analyzing data is that it helps you understand what is real. It's pathology. It's pathology. So understand what is real. Because you may assume that, you know, something is going to work better than another, but until you try it and prove it, you don't know. And until you study the data and measure the data on the phenomena or behavior, you won't know. It could be boasting, it could be claims, it could be fables, but it might not be real. And it's also interesting, uh, you know, the book that was uh, written, I think it was called The Tipping Point, where they talked about... Uh, why coaches don't try to do the two-yard run when they get within, like, 30 yards. Get, go for the two points. Why they always go for the field goal kick. And even though you're making more points per run than you would a field, point kick, a field goal kick, why you would choose to do the field uh, goal kick instead of... Uh, to do the run. Well, that's this week's recap. I'll talk to you next week.